Well, what a joy to be with you this morning. The greatest compliment that you can give to any preacher is to say, why don't you come preach for us? And uh, so I'm, I am delighted to be with you this morning. It's certainly uh, my joy and my privilege. We had a good trip up. Um, we argued with our GPS all the way up here. It kept wanting us to go this way. My wife said, no, we're not going that way. <laughs> but we made it and had a good trip. And uh, we're glad to be with you this morning. Uh, Brother Glenn's already preached my message. So uh, I'm just going to highlight some of the things that he said. And, and it, it just goes right along. I asked him this morning, I asked him, I said, do you still teach? He said, oh, yeah, I've been, I've been teaching since, what, 1955? You've been teaching Sunday school? And I said, well, what are you, what are you teaching on? He said, uh, uh, John 18, getting ready for preparing for the cross. So that's kind of my message this morning. And invite your attention to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. You folks pray a lot. That's good. That's good. We, we don't pray enough these days. And well, i tell you what, good to have prayer. God's people come together to pray. Matthew 26, very familiar text, verse 36, 36 through 46. You, you know the context here. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, that's the olive press is what that word means. I believe in the original is what I've been told. And said unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Listen to this verse. Then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Then he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as will thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and said unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away the second time and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it. Thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth the the betray me. Luke's version, Luke's gospel. Brother Glenn already read this in our presence this morning. Luke's gospel, chapter 22. The gospels do not give contradictory accounts. They give complementary accounts. 22. 39, and he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou, wilt, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat were, were as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. 
when he rose up from prayer, was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow, and said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you, Lord, for this insight we have into the humanity of Christ as he preparing himself for the ordeal of Calvary. And Lord, Calvary is a central place in our understanding of, of why Jesus came to this earth to die on our behalf on that old rugged cross. And Lord, we come here today thanking you for that great sacrifice that was made that made it possible for us to call you our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Bless our time together now this morning. Anoint me, your vessel. Lord, I'm, I'm just a, a vessel to be used by you. I've tried to prepare it uh, for your use. And may everything I say exalt and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Most of you are familiar with the account of Moses in the burning bush as God called him uh, for the special mission uh, that he had for him, and he used it, did it in a very unusual way. Uh, uh, we, we would never think of communicating the way God communicates, but he came to Moses in a burning bush, and Moses saw the bush that he was not consumed, and he was curious and came up there, and, and God spoke to him, Take off your shoes, for you're standing on holy ground. When we enter into the text that I just read in your hearing, we are on holy ground. Amen. Holy ground. Now, as we study the life of Jesus, uh, the, the Gospels do not give us a biography of Jesus. That is not their purpose. Uh, and we do not know at what time Jesus was completely aware of, that, of the reality that he must go to the cross. But certainly when he came to John the Baptist for baptism and, and John pointed him out and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, certainly Jesus knew what that meant. In fact, every Jew knew what that meant. Every Jew immediately would go back to that, the, that Paschal Lamb when God had decreed judgment upon the uh, Egyptians and, and, and he visited them with these great plagues. And uh, he, he, Pharaoh would, would, would not give in. Pharaoh would not heed the word of God. And, and he hardened his heart. And that's a dangerous thing to do, to harden your heart. Because then God began to harden his heart so that he was unable to repent and obey God. And of course, the last great plague was the death of the firstborn, when God would kill every firstborn in Egypt. And that death penalty also fell upon the, the, the God's people there in Goshen. But God made provisions for them. They went out and they selected a lamb. They observed it for four days to make sure that it was a healthy specimen. Then they would cut its throat and take the blood and sprinkle it on the lentils and on the doorposts as, as, so that when, when God came by or the death angel comes by and saw the blood applied, he would pass over them. Certainly a, a tremendous picture of Calvary. In fact, the later sin offering. That was offered twice a day. Brother Chris was talking about leading, reading through the books of Leviticus. The, the first five chapters deal with the different kinds of offerings. There was three that the three offerings were, were to maintain your fellowship with God, uh, the burnt offering and the other offerings, and two were for sin, the guilt offering and the sin offering. But the sin offering was offered every morning and every evening by the priest. A lamb was offered on the altar of burnt offerings. But that was simply a, simply a continuation of that, of that offering that was made there in, in, in Goshen, a continuation of that offering that would shield them from the awful wrath of God by applying the innocent blood to shield against the wicked. So as his time draws near, 
Jesus knows his hour is approaching, he begins to prepare his disciples for his crucifixion. And he begins to tell them about how he's going to be betrayed in the hands of sinful men and how he's going to be abused and crucified. And the cross was so alien to the understanding of, of even his closest disciples that they just could not comprehend. But as that time grew closer uh, and as Jesus began to understand what he was going to undergo, uh, his humanity recall from the horror of what it meant to bear the sins for all humanity. But the disciples, uh, even his inner circle, they, they did not understand. They were profoundly confused because as Brother Glenn pointed out this morning, they were, they were anticipating an earthly kingdom and the Old Testament uh, spoke extensively about the Messiah coming and setting up an earthly kingdom. And that was the kingdom they were looking for. That was the kingdom they were anticipating. And they did not understand that first Jesus came to offer up a spiritual kingdom and then to die on the cross. The cross was so repulsive to Peter that he vehemently denied not so, Lord, this is not going to happen to you. We, well, we can't have this. But as the reality of the cross bears down on his soul, Jesus begins to uh, manifest great sorrow. Jesus was sorrowful, but not only sorrowful, but exceedingly sorrowful, even to the point that he, he, he would perish. He would die if he had not been strengthened by the angels. His agony was so great. He was, uh, the, the, the thought of the, the cross was so crushing. And he was praying so earnestly that, that he began to bleed through his sweat pores as, as an expression of the anguish that he was under and the angels came and strengthened in him and he'd come to pray and he was so weak he, he wouldn't even stand upright but he fell on his face and the idea there is, is that he would stagger and he would fall on his face and, and he would pray and cry out to God and he would get back up and he'd fall on his face again and he was continually prostrating himself before God, begging, begging God, Oh God, if there, my Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. He appeals to his Father in three separate prayers. Now I'm sure his prayers were longer than the ones recorded, but this is the only part that has been preserved for us in Scripture. But the essence of his prayers concerned the cup. That, that's, what, that's what he talked about, the cup. Three times, let this cup pass from me. Now, I'm sure most of you already know the answer to this question, but uh, the question that naturally comes to mind was what was in the cup? What was it that, that was so abhorrent to Jesus that, that he... He was sweating great drops of blood as he considered drinking what was in that cup. Well, certainly uh, there was injustice involved uh, in the life of Jesus. You know, most time when you have a trial, the trial is there to determine your innocence or your guilt and evidence is produced in order to determine that. But in the case of Jesus, they had already condemned him before the trial ever took place. And so they, they gathered together not to determine whether he was innocent or guilty. They had already determined that he was guilty, but they were simply looking for a way that they could kill him. They could judicially murder him. And so injustice, terrible injustice. It, it certainly the cup 
could have contained the, the physical torture and the agony of his death by crucifixion. I, it was a horrible, horrible way to die. And the Romans reserved crucifixion for the worst kinds of criminals. And a Roman citizen was uh, exempt from death by crucifixion. The apostle Paul was beheaded. Uh, Roman law protected him from being uh, uh, crucified. So certainly uh, Jesus was, uh, was not a... Uh, looking forward to the torture that he was going to endure. Certainly the public humiliation of being stripped. Can you imagine the Jews were, uh, Jesus uh, in his humanity, uh, in, in his, uh, to be publicly stripped before a bunch of wicked soldiers, to be mocked, to be humiliated, to be whipped to be spit on, to be slapped to such an extent that his face was so marred he did not even appear to be human. Certainly that could have been part of the cup. And, and being abandoned by all those that ministered. He was with these men for three and a half years. He poured his very life into the, his disciples and he called on them to, to watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And yet uh, when the crisis came, all but one completely forsook him. Now, I believe Peter, if Jesus had drawn his sword and said, boys, let's fight to the death, I believe Peter would have drawn his sword and he would have died in the defense of his Savior. But when his Lord and Master, his King, and he had seen the mighty miracles that Jesus had done, he knew that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. And when he saw him meekly surrender to that mob, and he saw them bind him, Peter's faith was completely destroyed along with the rest of the apostles. And they fled and they ran away. And the only one that was present at the crucifixion was John, the one that Jesus loved. Every aspect of the humanity of Christ was assaulted on the cross. His body, his soul, his spirit. All of that perhaps was part of the cup. But there was something else in that cup that so crushed Jesus that he begged. I mean, he was begging. He was prostrate on his face. He was begging God, Oh, Father, if there's any other way, I don't want to drink this cup. In his humanity, he recoiled from what was in that cup. What was in that cup? Well, we got an answer from Scripture. Psalms chapter 11. Psalms chapter 11. All of you already know this. I know I'm preaching to the choir. But Psalms chapter 11, we see, we see what was in that cup. Psalms chapter 11, verse 6. Verse 5 said, The Lord trieth the righteous... But the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Upon the wicked, he, that's God, shall rain snares, fire, and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Psalm 75, Psalm 75, verse 8. Psalm 75. Verse 8. Verse 7 says, For God is the judge. He's still the judge, by the way. He putteth down one and setteth up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is full of mixture, and he poureth out of the same but the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. One other passage, Revelations chapter 14. Revelations chapter 14. We're talking about the cup. We're determining from Scripture what was in the cup. I think you're getting the idea. Verse 10 or verse 9 says, And the third angel 
followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of God. What was in the cup? Judgment. Judgment. Now, in times past, as, as we, we, we review God's previous judgment, God has judged in times past. He's brought judgment upon certain aspects of humanity. But God's judgment has always been tempered with mercy. Now, He came to Noah and wiped out the entire uh, civilization of that day, a worldwide flood. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So there was some measure of grace that was extended to humanity. When, when uh, the angels came to destroy, when God had declared that He was going to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, but yet Lot and his two daughters were spared. God in His mercy delivered them from that awful wrath that came upon that city. When the children of Israel began to murmur in the, in the wilderness and they wanted to go back to Egypt and, and God sent fiery serpents among them and they began to die and and, and God showed mercy and He had them put a bronze snake on the pole and they would look at that and they could be healed. So in the midst of that judgment that God brought upon His people, He extended mercy. In the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. when Titus surrounded Jerusalem, did you know Titus cut down every tree in a 10-mile radius and made crosses and he crucified, I think, Several hundred Jews every day was crucified as they was trying to get out of that out of that city. They were starving to death and terrible time. You ought to read that sometime. But even in the midst of, of that horrible judgment where over a million Jews died and the rest were scattered among the known world, there were a few that escaped and went and were preserved from that judgment. But there's a day coming. There's a future day of God's wrath. And He's going to pour out His wrath without one shred of pity, without any mercy, without any grace. It's going to be totally unmixed wrath that God is going to pour out. No compassion on that day. No crying out for being spared. There, there's no way that, that you can ask for any kind of forgiveness It'll be the full measure of His justice upon, upon the ungodly and they will receive the just punishment that their sins deserve. God will be perfectly righteous and perfectly just in His judgment and sinners will receive exactly what they deserve. They will receive the full measure of God's holy wrath. And that wrath will be for eternity. Sinners who are cast in the lake of fire will never, never satisfy the wrath of God. They will be there for all eternity as a, as a symbol of God's holiness, God's justice, and God's righteousness. This was the cup that Jesus was to drink. Not a sip, not a taste. He was to drink it down to the last bitter dregs. Jesus suffered the full measure of God's wrath. Remember Brother Glenn talked about all those sins that were rolled forward? Guess when they were rolled forward? They were rolled forward and placed upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All the sins of all of humanity rested upon Christ. No wonder He was crushed. Can you imagine the burden of that? And Jesus was to become sin. The holy, perfect Son of God was to become sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And 
as he was impaled on the cross, he no longer was the beloved son of his father, but he came as one utterly abandoned by God. He came burdened with the sins of all of humanity, and God looked upon him. You know what he saw? He saw me, and he saw you with all of our ungodly, wicked sins. And he poured out unmitigated wrath upon the person of his own son. And Jesus here in the Garden of Gethsemane in unimaginable agony is already anticipating the price he was going to have to pay. He was already anticipating uh, the bitterness of that cup. Is there any other way but there was no other way Jesus submitted to the will of God he offered himself up as that lamb that would take away the sin of the world and we hear his cry of agony his cry of dereliction as God abandoned him in outer darkness. Aren't you glad that you'll never experience that? that? That's the essence of hell. I know we talk about the fires of hell and that's pretty terrible, but there's nothing worse than to be abandoned by God, to be cut off from God, be cast away from God. For every good thing that we have ever enjoyed in life is by God. And if you're separated from God, there's nothing more devastating than that. So in utter despair, in hopelessness, Jesus was cast out, bearing the sins of all of humanity. And we hear His cry, Oh my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? That's a quote from Psalm 22 as He applied that entire psalm to Himself. And there Jesus on the cross in all of His agony and all of His suffering, there He died for you and for me so that we would never have to taste that cup. And He drank it on our behalf. Now there's an application in this for you and I. Several applications. As I was preparing this message in my study, I became so overwhelmed for my lost loved ones. I became so burdened for them that I got down on my face and I began to cry out to God. What excuse do my children have? Now, I know I wasn't the perfect father. I know I failed him in many ways. I heard the testimony of a young preacher years ago. He had three children. He had two boys and a girl. And every night after they'd gone to bed, when they were, they were little, they were little, he would go into their bedrooms and he would kneel at the, at the bedside of each one of those children and he'd pour out his heart in prayer that when they reached that age that they were able to understand that God in his mercy would save his children. And he labored in prayer night after night after night. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I thought that since I was a preacher and I was preaching that, that surely God would save my children by default. But my children heard the gospel. They went to revival meetings. They went to church camps where God's power was unleashed and sinners were saved. They were witnessed to not only publicly, they were witnessed privately as different ones would come and witness to them. The Holy Spirit wooed them and convicted them and called them to repentance, but they turned. They turned from God's mercy. Amen. And they, they, they went with the prodigal. And now they're out in the hog pen of this world. And so every day I get on my face and I cry out to God. Because I know, I know what this Bible says, I've read it, that unless they repent, unless they, 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 they repent and trust in Christ as their Savior, that they're going to hear those awful words on the day of judgment. Depart from me, ye cursed, 
into everlasting darkness. And that, that, that brings horror in my heart, in my soul. And I cry out to God, Oh God, continue to strive with them. Oh God, continue to have mercy on them. Because, and I remind God of His promises. I go back and say, God, I know what you said in your word. You're not willing that any should perish. It's not your desire for them to perish. But it's your desire that they might repent. And Lord, I, I know that you love them more than I can begin to imagine. That you have an infinite love for them and that Christ died for them. Oh God, will you not continue to strive with them? Will you do not awaken them from their, 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 their spiritual death? Let them know, Lord, that life is short. Life is frail. They're, they're one heartbeat away from stepping out into eternity. And that's true of my kids, and that's true of your kids, and your grandkids, and your mamas, and your daddies. Boy, the, we think about God's wrath. It ought to put us on our faces to pray for our lost loved ones, to pray for our lost neighbors. I take comfort. I take comfort as I read the Gospels that Jesus could touch the eyes of a blind man and cause him to see. That, that Jesus could put his fingers in the ears of a deaf man and cause him to hear. Uh, that, that Jesus could, could touch a lame man and have him to walk. That Jesus could even speak to the dead and have them come forth from the grave. And Jesus can still do that today. And I pray that he... My children and my grandchildren are spiritually dead, but Jesus, Jesus can speak the word and, and they, can be, they can be risen from their state of spiritual death. Oh, the cup, the cup. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath on mankind's behalf. But for those who reject the mercy and grace of God who turn from the love of God that He's extended in the person of His Son, they, they one day will have to bring, drink the cup of God's wrath. There's one application. But there's another application. As we meditate upon that cup, as we focus our attention to Calvary as we think about what Jesus did for us in our state of sin. Should that not make a radical difference in the way we live? Should it not? Uh, can, can we, as those who have been born again, those who have been washed in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us who have been delivered from the holy wrath of God, can, do we dare to harbor unconfessed sin in our heart, come into the very presence of God among God's people and have sins that are in our heart that we've never confessed, that we've never repented? Do, do we dare grieve the Holy Spirit in such a way as that? Many people do because they've, they've never seriously considered or meditated about the cross. They've never understood what, what Jesus suffered on their behalf. Can, can we somehow, uh, as, as God's people, can we somehow excuse our sin, try to find some way to, um, if, where it's not quite as bad as God says it is, that we can somehow rationalize it or marginalize it or find somebody else that's doing something worse than we are and say, okay, God, I'm not as bad as that. And somehow that excuses us from repenting and confessing of our sins. Should we not, as we review the cross, as we think about what Jesus did, should that not drive us to our prayer closet? Confessing, if we confess our sins. God's people don't do much confessing anymore. They don't do it publicly, so I suspect they're not doing it privately. But if we confess our sins, that means, that means you go in, you're totally transparent with God. 
Uh, you, you can't hide anything from him anyway. Why people try to do that is beyond me. He, he knows every thought you, you've ever thought and every thought you are going to think. And he knows everything. So, so you might as well go in and just be transparent and be honest and, and, and agree with God about your own sin. Just, just, just be honest. Lord, whatever, whatever the sin is, just confess it. It, it, Lord, it's just as bad as you say it is. It's wicked. It's evil. I shouldn't have thought that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. Whatever it may be, confess it. Confess it and, and face up to it. And then ask God for forgiveness. Ask God for cleansing. And then go out and, and, and try to do better. Uh, to, to forsake. Those sins. Should, should we not be confessing and repenting far more than we do? Should we not wage war with indwelling sin every day of our life? Do you know, I wish when we got saved that we, had a, we, we got the whole package, that we've, had delivered, we've delivered from the penalty of sin, right? But we were not completely delivered from the power of sin. Because we still have indwelling sin in our members. And, and so there's a spiritual warfare going on. The flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And we are to take an active role in mortifying and putting to death our flesh. Now our willpower is not strong enough. Our resolve is not strong enough in our own strength to overcome our besetting sin. But we have a part to play. We are to use the resources that God has given us in His Word. Jesus says, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. And we're, He's given us the armor of God that we're to put on. And so there's an active role that is ours. God's not going to do it for us. We're going to have to engage our will and our resolve. And we're going to have to resist the devil. We're going to have to say no to our flesh and we are, we are praying that the Holy Spirit would enable and empower our will and strengthen us so that we might mortify and put to death the deeds of our flesh. That that's a daily, ongoing process. And if you're not fighting with sin, if you're not having this struggle with sin, there's something seriously wrong in your life. Either you've never been born again or you've so quenched the Holy Spirit that He's no longer dealing with your heart. And both of those are very bad places to be. We need to use every means that God has provided to overcome the weights and sins in our life. Remember that passage? We're to lay aside uh, sin we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside. That's something we have. God's not going to do that. God's not going to do that. We have to lay aside every weight and every sin. Now, weights are not necessarily sin. Uh, we can have a lot of weights in our lives that are not sin. But when we allow those weights to interfere with, with our walk with the Lord, when those weights become idols in our lives, then it does become sin. And a lot of times... Uh, we have to set aside things that are not necessarily bad. Uh, they're not sinful, but they are holding us back. And that could be a lot of different things. And, we're to, we're to, and you have to get honest with God. You have to open yourself up to the scrutiny of the Scripture and the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit. You have to say, search me, O God. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. We have to ask God to reveal to us, Lord, what is it that is hindering me? What is it that's keeping me from the intimacy, the relationship that I desire to have with you? And God will put our, His finger on something in our lives. And we're to forsake the weights and sins that so easily beset us. There's another application. Should we not have a profound sense of gratitude that we've been delivered from the wrath to come? Think about, have you ever seriously studied the wrath to come? Can you imagine what it's going to be like for sinners 
to be drawn out of hell. They're going to be there in, in a spirit form. God's going to summon them from hell and they're going to stand before them. He's going to give them some kind of a body, a body designed for eternal judgment, eternal wrath. And God is going to bring His indictment against them and there will be no spin on that day. There will be no excuse on that day. And they'll fall on their faces and, and, and they'll confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. But it'll be too late to confess. It'll be too late to cry out for mercy and forgiveness. And to hear those awful words, bind him and cast him out into outer darkness. We've been delivered from that. We'll never face the wrath of God because the wrath of God has already been settled on our account. God, as we heard in Sunday school this morning, God was, was satisfied with what His Son did on our behalf on Calvary. God was satisfied with that. The wrath of God was totally and completely appeased. He perpetuated our wrath. He satisfied God on our behalf. And so we don't fear the wrath of God. We'll never suffer under the wrath of God. And all oh, our hearts ought to rejoice for that. If that was the only benefit of salvation, if, if that's the only thing God would ever do for us, is we wouldn't have to go to the lake of fire. Wouldn't that be pretty tremendous? To, to not have to suffer for all eternity in a burning lake of fire, abandoned by God? Know that we'll never face God having trampled underfoot the blood of Christ and done despite unto His grace. Amen. It's going to be awful for those people. It's going to be awful for uh, the heathens who've, who've never heard the gospel, never heard, never heard the name Jesus. Amen. They had creation. They had conscience. They had light. God gave them light. They rejected that light. And God's going to judge them and cast them into hell because they rejected the light they did receive. But what about for the person who sat in church and heard the gospel over and over and over again and, and rejected the mercy and grace of God, rejected the wooing of the Holy Spirit, rejected the convicting power that come upon their hearts, and they're going to stand before God naked and ashamed, and they're going to remember every message they heard. They're going to remember every opportunity they had to repent, and they harden their hearts against God. And they'll hear those awful words, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. But we can live our lives in the confidence based upon God's own promise that we have been forgiven, we have been reconciled, we have been adopted. And our salvation is forever secure. Amen. And why is it ever secure? Because our salvation is by, is by God. <laughs> He's the one that orchestrated. He's the one that brought it about. Now, if there was something that we had to do to get saved, then there's something that we would have to do to stay saved, then our salvation would be secure. Amen. But God Himself, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and they shall not double negative they shall not never perish so we can lay our heads at, uh, on our pillow at night in the total and complete confidence that all is right between us and God that we have peace with God that God has been reconciled to us that, that the wrath of God has been uh, satisfied on our account and Jesus is our Lord and our Savior and He's our advocate and He's our high priest and everything is prepared for us. And one day, we're going to depart this old wicked world. We're going to be given a new body, and a glorified body. And then these remnants of sin that plague us so much is going to be taken away. And we'll have a perfect mind and a perfect body and a perfect soul. And we will be given a body that will reflect the glory and majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll live in that uh, New Jerusalem, and oh, what a joy. Think about the joys of, of our blessed salvation.
We, we just got a part of it now. We just have a taste now. We just have an earnest now. But one day we're going to receive everything that God has for us in all the fullness. And God is going to pour out His salvation blessings upon us as a father who loves his children. Amen. And we can, we can come before God with the praise of thanksgiving. One other. Should not the cross cause us to worship in spirit and in truth? Let me confess. Do you ever find yourself in church going through the motions? Checking the boxes. I've been to church. I sang three songs. I listened to the message. Have you ever found yourself praying mechanically? I've had to, I have to stop sometimes when I'm praying because I'm just saying words and I'm thinking something else. And that can't be too pleasing to God. You wouldn't do that if you were talking to the governor or to the president, if, he was, if our president would stay awake long enough for you to listen. But you wouldn't do that. You would, you would respect the person you're speaking to. And yet we show such disrespect to God when, when we just play mechanically. Jesus says, uh, they, they praise me with their lips, but their heart is far, far from me. You find sometimes that you worship with your lips. Here's a good test. When, when we sing hymns, do you really focus on what those words are saying? Or are they so familiar to you that, that you just sing, but you, you never give a thought to what the words are saying? And so I, I've been convicted by that, and so I have to go back and, and, and focus upon well, what, is the, what is the song saying? What, what's the message of the song? We're just not singing to make noise. We're singing to praise and exalt and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. But if I don't even know what I'm singing, that's, that's kind of offensive to God, is it not? Do we endure the preaching and teaching of God's Word? I see some people in church that do that. They're just trying to get through the message. Uh, there's, there's no real hunger. There's no real desire to, for the Word of God to come and to, to bathe their hearts and minds with the Word of God. The only time they read their Bible is when they follow along with the pastor on Sunday morning when he opens it up. There, there's, no, there's no real worship. You know, worship doesn't happen just here. This is public worship. But we're, we're supposed to worship in spirit and truth. That means we worship wherever we are, wherever we go throughout the day. We should worship on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. We should worship in spirit and truth. Why? Because Jesus is worthy of our worship. I wish I could sing this song. It's, I'm going to say this in closing. It's one of my favorite songs. I wish I could sing it, but God has not gifted me with this, so I'll read it to you. You know it. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, Ruined sinners, that's you and me, to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement, can it be? Yes, yes, hallelujah. What a Savior. Lifted up was He to die. It is finished was His cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. What a Savior. When He comes, our glorious King, all His ransom home to bring, then anew His song will sing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. What a Savior. We have a wonderful, glorious Savior. And it ought to cause us when we come to church at some point in time, every now and then, the joy bells ought to be ringing down in our hearts and we're able to at least lift up in our hearts, if not our hands, and cry, oh, hallelujah, what a glorious, wonderful Savior we have. What has God done for us in Christ? Could we not come and, and glorify Him and magnify Him and praise Him and worship Him? Let me say here, in the final note, if you're here this morning, 
And Christ is not your Savior. There's never been a time in your life that you've had a saving encounter with Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about uh, uh, having some sort of religion. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about where you had an encounter where you became a new creature in Christ Jesus. That you were changed from what you were to what you are as a believer, a redeemed in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's made a radical difference in your life. Have you ever met with Jesus in a saving capacity? Can you go back, maybe not precisely to the time of the day, but you go back to a time in your life when God awakened you from a state of spiritual death and you know that you were lost and on your way to a devil's hell and you came by faith and repented, and you may not know the words to say, you may not know what prayer to pray, but you came in your heart confessing Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And God, the Holy Spirit, marvelously moved into your life and redeemed you and saved you and regenerated you. And you now are a new creature in Christ. Can you, with full confidence, say that this morning? If not then you're under the wrath of God. Jesus said in John 3, 18, you're not waiting to be condemned. You are condemned already. You are condemned by the very nature that you were born in Adam. You were born with a nature that was hostile toward God. You have an enmity against God. You cannot keep the law of God, neither do you want to or desire to. Not only are you a sinner by nature, uh, by birth, you're a sinner by nature. You have a sin nature that all it can do is sin. Sin. That's all you can do is sin. You can never do anything that will please God. You're a sinner by practice. Not only do you have a nature of sin, you, you, you act upon that nature and you sin. You sin. You break the commandments. You break, you, you break one commandment, you break them all. And you're under the wrath of a holy God. And I've tried the best of my ability to tell you about how awful that wrath is going to be. But the good news is, the good news is, is that Jesus satisfied God's wrath on your behalf. That you don't have to stay in a state of condemnation. That you can come and be wonderfully and gloriously saved and become a child of God having an eternal destiny, secure in what Christ has done for you on Calvary's cross. I don't know the state of your heart this morning, but I wonder if we might have a, an invitational song, and if you feel led to pray, if, if you feel like the Lord's dealing with your heart about salvation, we've got people here that can certainly help you. Uh, let's stand together and, and have a, a, a brief song of of uh, invitation and if God is dealing with you won't you come oh we, this church pleads with you if you're here and you're lost this church has been praying for you they've been bringing your, your name before the throne of God and they love you and they desire that you might trust Christ as your Savior won't you respond to the love of God as he's extended to you in Christ Jesus go ahead brother